All right. Uh, thanks, everyone, for coming out for the podcast and set. Uh, this week, of course, my guest is Heather Ann Campbell. Hey, everyone. Now, Heather, I, you and I have known each other for, and I'm going to, I'm it's going to start dating you when I, no, when no, I no. say it. You could, I mean, we've known each other for, since I 20 was, years. since, huh? We've known yeah, each other for, shush, for, 20, shush, for 21 years. Shush. I think it's 21 years now. Yep, yep. We've known each other for 21 years, which is uh, pretty crazy. And you were 14 no. or 15? Yep, yeah, right, right around there. Sir, sure, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the math's going to start adding up. Uh, well, yeah, no, I mean, you can say I've known <laughs> you since you were 14, and it doesn't ruin my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're like, I've known you for 21 years. I always thought and that you was look cr- like you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always thought that was that was crazy because I, I, I of course didn't know back then, but you used to sneak out of your parents' house at fourteen or fifteen mm-hmm. and go to a, th- a, a comedy theater downtown to hang out and do the jam. Yep. <laughs> the jam. Uh, so you know, an improv jam is the same. It's an improv jam. There was like a bunch of. Terrifying older men uh, and uh, and me, and I would hang out and do short. It's short form games, or it was at the time. It was yeah, basically it was ga- short it was just, form. It was games. Yeah, and then uh, I'd run away from Miles because I'd be afraid he'd card me. Right. I, I was I was running the bar at the I.O. Chicago at the time. Yep. Uh, that was great because I, I remember there was one time because after you'd been there a while, I was like, that, that girl's pretty good. I'm, I'm gonna go, you know, say, she, you know, tell her she's pretty good. Yeah, after I'd been there like a year, so I'm yeah, 15 then. Whatever, she's 15, so it's <laughs> <laughs> just trying to hedge the years. So I remember I, I walked up and I was like, "Yeah, that's pretty good." And Heather just looked at me like she was terrified, <laughs> and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Uh, but she, years later, it's funny. I think when you turned 21, I ran into you at the 25th anniversary mm-hmm. of uh, the I.O. in Chicago, and you sat down next to me at the bar, proud as a fucking peacock, <laughs> like. Hi, Miles. <laughs> I'm 21. I'm like, okay, I'm like, okay, I don't care. <laughs> I, I haven't been there in a long time. Um, but you, so you did the I.O. in Chicago, and then you went to Boone. Yes, I, I came to L.A. for a very short time uh, and then and did a little bit of Groundlings, and then I went to Boom in Amsterdam. Uh, because there was I.O. here at the time was actually in this space and the one next door, mm-hmm. uh, maybe that way. Um, so there was no I.O. There was no U.C.B. Groundlings was pretty much the only place you could do improv out here. Uh, I took a couple. I went through until they told me I was on like a five year waiting list. And then I was like, OK. And then <laughs> and then I auditioned for Boom and went to Boom. That must have been great. Um, That's one of the things. I, I think the guy who started Boom came out of the I.O. in, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh it was the sort of thing that when, when Boom was finally up and really going, you know, I was just too long in the tooth to be going over to Boom. <laughs> but had Boom existed when I was in my early mid twenties, I'd probably still be in Amsterdam <laughs> and dead. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, I did three years at Boom Chicago, almost three years. Uh, it's run by Pep Rosenfeld and Andrew Moscos. Uh, and Saskia Moss, um, and a few others now, uh, and they were all Chicago. Well, Saskia was in Amsterdam, but uh, Andrew and Pep moved from Chicago to Amsterdam to start an improv place there because there wasn't one. And for a long time, they, they made them a lot of money. And then tourism kind of died off because of 
2008, but now it's back on the upswing. I don't. I feel bad saying that, but it's it's a good place to go now. <laughs> what Amsterdam? Yeah, no, I mean like for a while it looked really hairy for the place for a while because of just how the whole global market crashed and everything fell to shit and nobody was traveling. So for a while, like that's uh, Obama's fault. Yeah, Obama. No, o- Obama did that. Uh, so <laughs> wasn't okay. Anyway, uh, so for. They had, like, at one point, I think early on, they had a 19-person cast. And in 2008, it was, like, a four-person cast because there was just no – there was nobody coming to the theater because there was nobody coming to Amsterdam. But it's back up to a bigger cast again. So are are you thinking about going back to, to Boom? No. Uh, if my life falls apart <clears throat> and, like, everything I know and love here it ends, then, yes, I will move back to Amsterdam. All right. Heather and Campbell – What's the most important thing in life? What? You know your answer. You know your answer. Uh, you know your answer. Say it. Pride? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not money. Uh, <laughs> Miles is making the money. No, it's not money. It's. I think it's. Um, I think it's just being able to sleep at night. However, that you define that. So, by that I mean that you make something that you're proud of. You. You work on some long-term project. You laugh. You love. You do all of those things. You remember that you're going to die someday, and uh, and then that's the most important thing: is sleeping right. well. That's, that's not a question. I I wanted a real answer for it, and, th- and that's a real good real answer. I was actually going to blow you some shit as a matter as a way of talking about how much fucking money you make because you work so goddamn hard. I do work a lot, and. Um, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't, that's, you can never talk about money. I just, I just did. <laughs> no, no, man, it's just, no, it's it really, it's just, it, it's amazing how, how, how much you've accomplished and, and work. I mean, you've done, whose line is it anyway, right? Mm-hmm. You're one of the main writers at Fox ADHD. I don't know what your title is there. Uh, I'm a writer at Fox ADHD, and I'm also a writer, uh, though this hasn't been announced yet, but it does, I don't think it matters, of the new, um, uh, Lonely Island, Paul Shear produced Fox sketch show that will be going up uh, next year. Um, and then I write at ADHD and do Who's right. Line. I was thinking, was it, who was the first person to get like the, was it 11 million views or something? Huh? Oh, uh, that was Eric. Yeah, that was Eric. Yeah. Eric, uh, Eric Moneypenny. I work with uh, <laughs> Eric Moneypenny at ADHD and... Um, <clears throat> Uh, he, he was the first, his, the number one viewed, viewed video on the channel is his, but I've always been, I've always said that the, the reason I know how to write a viral video is Money Penny and the Midnight Show, like teaching me how to construct material and content for an audience as opposed to for myself, like that you make stuff that people want to watch as opposed to what you think is funny, that instead you make what people want to watch in a way that you think is funny. And that I think that distinction is is why he has the biggest viewed video on the channel. So you're okay with that, with him having the biggest viewed? Yeah, I mean, I have 190 million views to his like 50 million, so it's not. Yeah, but that's not the same as a single video <laughs> having the most views, or the first video to hit 11 million. Yep, views. yep that was yep. really. It's something. up to 14 million now. His. That's to, that's something. What are you? What are you <laughs> <laughs> I'm just poking. Uh, I know you're competitive. Um, let's see. So you, you were also part of the UCB's 
longest streak winning cage match team. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, you and I did a show for 40, well, we did the show for 50 weeks. We lost at week 50, so we were 49-0 and 0, uh, at a cage match at UCB. Um, which is really great. It must be. You, are you getting nervous yet? That because I'm at week thirty with a with another partner. How are the houses? I mean, the houses are just packed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing this over here. That's why. That's right. We're we're completely stealing all of UCB's people. Uh, Man, when Speedface when Speedface happens over here, there's like five people in the house at Cage Match. Like there's nobody there, but only on Speedface weeks. The rest of the weeks, it's all right. All right. No, but I, I actually, I, I, I hope that you, you, you and uh, Becky, Becky Drysdale, yeah, I, that her Becky Drysdale gets to forty nine, just to see what the fuck they do. <laughs> it's like because you're you're on both teams. Uh, well, w- the truth is that uh, when Heather and Miles, some of you know this, when Heather and Miles was supposed to, when we went up the first time, it was supposed to be Becky and myself. Uh, and she wasn't available that week. Uh, so I called Miles and was like, hey, dude, do you want to do cage match with me? Becky's not available for like a few weeks, so I think I'll just, we'll just... And we didn't expect... I mean, we went up against somebody who had been on a run for we a while. We didn't expect to win. Yeah. Because I assume that, like most cage matches, whoever brings the most friends, and I'm, I'm not bringing anybody, so I just figured we'd lose. Right. Um, we, we only won by four votes. Yeah. And now, so that anyway, so that's why I'm performing with Becky now because I owed her one, and, <laughs> and also to see what they'd do if we get to 49. <laughs> All right, uh, you thirsty? You're drinking so much water, man. Ah, it's because because I, I have to sit here talking. All right. And talking apparently makes me thirsty, and I'm I'm bored. I'm bored with you. Okay. Does anyone ever ask you questions? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. Um, Why do you want to ask me a question? Yeah, let me ask you. Let me let me see if I can come up with a question. Um, do you think that improv has a future um, in and of itself? Meaning uh, that um, that it's not just a, a strip mine for people to take comedians and put them in other places. Do you think that there is a place that improv can go where people can do it as a living and make money without teaching? Yes, uh, but not in the sense that, like, I think the idea of, of improv ex- exists and will always exist in the way we sort of understand it now in a similar way to something like Tai Chi, right? Like Tai Chi, you don't necessarily get paid to do it, right, at all, mm-hmm. uh, but it will always exist. Uh, is there a lot of money to be made as an improviser? Uh, I don't, I haven't seen it. Uh, I think it may come. It's it's hard to say because the value of it is spreading. Just like in, in the since the time I started, uh, you know, there was two places in Chicago that were doing the stuff I I was working on, uh, and now it's all over the the world. Uh, and people, even people who don't really know what the hell they're talking about, are like, "Hey, we we need some improv in here. We need some of this." It's like you don't know what you're saying, but yeah, you do. Uh, and I think eventually it will become something that is more profitable uh, to the individual. So, yeah, that's it. You don't think it's a fad by chance? No, not at all. I, I think it's absolutely a part of us. I think it's, it's, it's 
one of the most human things I've ever done. Uh, it's, it's the exploration of everything through your perspective. Uh, it's, it's what being alive is about. So, yeah, I don't think that will ever die. Uh, that's why I, I put it right up there on par with something like Tai Chi, where you see, you know, I, I, I could, in, in my dream world, I see a world where I see those pictures of like, you know, people in some place in China or somewhere doing Tai Chi in the streets at lunch or something. And I see, I see it, say, hey, it's lunch. Let's do a few scenes. Right? <laughs> Let's connect in some way uh, other than our shitty job. Because uh, in a way, that's what a lot of us do anyway, right? Like, like you and I imagine, I imagine if you and I were working on some job that was like a job that we didn't really want or like, if there was a break, it would just be filled with improv, right? Uh, and that would, you know, save our souls. Uh, so that, no, definitely not a fat. Okay. All right. Your turn. My turn. <laughs> uh, all right, Heather Ann Campbell. Someone's coming in late. That's fine. Do you ever take questions <clears throat> from the house? Yes, I do. Oh, okay. Uh, usually not this early. All right. I'm just. Usually my guest is interesting works. and has something more to say. Yeah. All right. Well. <laughs> blowing Heather's shit. Uh, yeah, it's like I was. I was thinking like I, I enjoy playing with you more than anyone I've ever enjoyed playing with. I'm extremely good. Yes, you are. <laughs> You're extremely good, and I always it was funny. Because I know that we look at it completely differently. Uh, primarily because I, I look at it in part as a, as a teacher, whereas you don't really look at it as, as a teacher, more just as a, a pure player. But I, do, I, find it, I find it interesting that I think we play almost identically as far as like the, way, the, the, way, the things we wind up doing. I'm just like, man, this is just so what I would do. Something that you've said to me, because I, I, I don't like talking about improv with you because I don't want to see the way that you see it because then there's a, sort of a loss of joy for me on stage when I can be like, oh, if I do this, Miles will do that. But I, I like the sort of act of discovery in improv and the serendipity of it um, and the reactionary feeling in improv. But one of the things you've said uh, that I love and, um, and applaud is that we both know how to lose on stage. Yeah. And I think that losing in improv is so important. I think that not losing a scene, but losing status, knowing that the funniest thing to do isn't to own the building, but rather to be like, to, to be poisoned. Like both those, it's so much funnier to get shot than it is to shoot somebody in comedy. So like when you're in a standoff and if, if, it's so much, there's it's, so much power in loss. It's almost always like, because I think the way that most players might identify with it, because I know a lot of even good players who don't know how to lose on stage, uh, is that there's that moment on stage when you feel a sense of competition with the person you're playing with, which shouldn't be there, right? But it winds up there sometimes. It feels like, oh, this is almost like we're competing for this moment. And almost always when that happens, the winning move is the losing move. Mm -hmm. uh, like if we're playing <laughs> if we're playing chess in a scene or something, it's weird to talk about improv before you do improv. Uh, if you're doing chess in a scene and I'm like, oh, well, check this out. And I do something and you just, <laughs> you look at the board and you're like, that's that's not even a move. You move the chess, you, you lost. It is so much funnier for me to say yes to that as opposed to like, 
you don't understand how I play chess. So like that's that's right. boring. It's so boring to just be like it's more it's more funny to me to be like, oh my God. Oh oh I failed. Oh my family. Oh I came to Russia. Yeah. They're gonna be killed. <laughs> like that's so much more that's funny. Right. One of the things one of the things that you said to me was just a phrase like uh make it worse. Yeah. Because I I'd never I'd never uh, thought that that succinctly as far as oh, just make everything worse no matter what it is just make <laughs> it worse for people because uh, you know comedy to me is is dark in part if not in a large part I was thinking like the, the so much comedy like you go back to like slapstick and stuff you know people laughing at people falling and getting hit with shit stabbed uh, stabbed <laughs> ah, not me it's some other guy getting beat up um, but yeah just just make it worse and that's that's losing mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that's a that's a high end one t- to get to. And I also think that there's a there's a sort of playful there's like a mischievousness because we both know that the other likes to lose. So sometimes <laughs> sometimes the only way we can win is to make the other person lose faster than they can invent to the loss. Right. Uh, so it'll be like. I'm so sorry you have cancer. And you'd be like, I, I know. I, I came in here for what else is wrong with me. It's like, <laughs> right. oh, no, but, but we cured it. <laughs> You're like. <laughs> no. It, <laughs> well, that ties into the, the, a thing you said that I don't really. Uh, I would never teach this, but I know you do it. I know it's part of how you play, which is you like to fuck with the other player on stage. Like I know in shows we've done where you literally on purpose have stood behind me <laughs> where I couldn't see you and started basically doing something to make the audience laugh. And whenever I turn around, you'd stop. So that basically I'm out of the loop. Uh, it's like, all right, all right. She's fucking with me. Uh, which to me is like, of course, but b- by the book, that's terrible. You should never, ever fucking do that. But I, I, I get that that's also part, part of the joy. Yeah. Uh, like s- some of the, it's, it is, so funny some of the the happiest things happiest times that i can feel is on stage when you're breaking you know when you're when you're breaking it's an honest break you can't help it it's like it it feels stupid you try not to break but then you're breaking but that feeling is like that's joy i think the hardest i've ever made you break was the last show it was funny because yeah i i laughed out loud and it was funny because i I knew the line was coming (laughs) i because i i as i saw the scene i knew the line was coming we did, a, we did a scene where um, where I was a scientist in some kind of, I don't remember what. Some, was, some sort of ridiculous scientist. And I, I was a, a basic a straight man. I'd come in to, I'd, to get paid to be run through some tests or something. And I, I, there was two cups, and one of them had like a spider under it. And I was like, so just take the cup without looking and, and drink the contents. And it was supposed to be a spider underneath it, which didn't make any sense. Like, how do you, how would, if, if there's a spider underneath the cup, I pick up the cup, the spider's going to run away. So, He's not in the cup. I can't, so she just scoops. made some ridiculous thing about how to scoop up the spider and drink it. Uh, and then I just decided that I was, all right, you know what? I can see which cup the spider's under because I, they're clear cups. I can see movement, so I'll just take this one and look. There's nothing in it. And, uh, and as soon as I did it, I was like, she's going to say now the other cup because th- th- this was at the end of a series of ridiculous things she was trying to ask me to do that my character was refusing to do uh and as soon as i drank that empty cup i was like she's going to say now the other cup uh and i knew she was going to say it and t- she was sitting there and i could i could see the wheels turning I-, I i i could see the wheels locking in on it and i was like oh shit so i'm already starting to break a little bit 
<laughs> Partly because like I know what she's gonna fucking say, and she said it, and I laughed out loud, <laughs> which was funny because to laugh out loud at something you see coming. Uh, but yeah, that was that was a big break. Uh, you break almost. It's funny because you start you you break a bit with me. Oh, I don't. I uh, love yeah. breaking. I mean, yeah. like, I I wasn't. I'm not an actress. I don't have any of that. The I don't know what that skill set is, but like I can't. I break when I'm writing my own sketches. Like, and that's it's true because like I'm like, oh, can you imagine if this was happening for real? <laughs> <laughs> so like I'm 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 in my new job. People have actually talked about it. They're like, oh, Heather's making herself laugh again. I'm like, yeah, I didn't know this was gonna happen. Like when I started writing the sketch about whatever it was, I didn't know it would get here. And then it got there and I'm like, oh, that's so fun. <laughs> what if that was reality? All right. That is fun. Cause I've, I've, I've experienced that too. And yeah. I always feel stupid. Like, oh, I'm, I'm laughing at something I'm, I'm coming up with, but which feels not, stupid. Your, no, because you, you're discovering it. Yeah. As, you, as you, you write something and all of a sudden it's like, oh, what if this? And like, oh, shit, that's funny. <laughs> right. It's like someone else just wrote it or something. Right. Uh, I was actually thinking, I am going to, a little earlier, open up for questions. Okay. Just because I I know you very well, so I don't really have a lot to ask you. Uh, but if anyone here has any questions, please feel free. Right there. So you've both been doing improv for a long time. Do you ever find yourself when you're on stage making, I don't want to say like like rookie mistakes, beginner mistakes, but you know, getting up in your head or 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 making a you know whatever a mistake is, and if so, how do you get out of that? I think, I think being in your head. So the thing that I I know that Miles doesn't see the same that I do in improv is that I think the 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 your, the, your environment that seeing your environment keeps you out of your head. So if you really 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 believe that you are in a pet store, you can never be in your own head because you're con like there's pets everywhere. Like it's more of a like a fugue state or like a dream or something where you can just look around the room and even if you don't know what to say, it's like, ah, oh, fuck, there's a lizard over here. What's the lizard doing? Like it's not invention, it's more like adaptation to an environment. Like I'm never in my own head, well, that's not true. I'm in my, my own head more in my actual house than I am in an improv house because I don't know what's on the bookshelf in the improv house and I can go over and look at the bookshelf and be like, oh, that's cool, this character's in the cookbooks and then like now I'm reading cookbooks and I say something about cooking and it inspires something like I, I feel like the the reason people get in their head is they're looking for the proper thing as opposed to being in the thing and the number one reason that I improvise is because I have to get out of my own brain and body and life for at least an hour a week or I'll go fucking crazy I'll just go crazy like I you have to get you know, and I, when I started, I was pretty miserable. Uh, I'm not miserable anymore, so it's a different it's a different impetus. But like when I was young and I hated high school and I, I felt I was so sad all the time. And so I would go because I could be a king on stage. I could be a king. And it didn't matter if the king was getting stabbed in the heart. It was like, oh, I'm not Heather right now. That's all that matters is like I can be any kind of person in any kind of job or age or you know, background or whatever. Um, so that was, I, I, yeah, I don't. No, I, I agree. I've, I've, heard, I've heard you say that before about seeing your environment. You actually, you, you said that to me once. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I, I do that. I hadn't realized, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I do that because I do remember scenes I've done as where they were. 
uh, the, the in your head you're talking about is, is when you start letting yourself focus on your own thinking, right? Because you, you're always, your brain's always going to be on, right? So you're always going to be thinking in, in some way, but, but you can change where you put your focus. What Heather's describing is put your focus on your environment uh, or on your character presentation. Because uh, your brain's going to be moving. It's going to be firing. Uh, I think we both enjoy being in a state of constant reaction uh, where our focus is on the things that aren't us. Because it's funny to listen to you describe that. Because one thing I always, I always say to my students is the last person I want on stage when I perform is me. That's a nightmare. I never want to play me on stage. Uh, as soon as I can, I want to be someone else. Um, but as far as making the, those mistakes, you're always going to make mistakes. It, the this is an exercise in failure. There is no perfect show. Your batting average imp improves, but there is no perfect show. And almost always, if I make a mistake, it's back to the, it's the simple things. I didn't hear something, right? Or I invented something that I didn't need to. Uh, it's simple. It, they're all the same mistakes, always. But also, uh, mistakes imply an awareness of the audience in a sh in a show, and like I don't. I, I don't I'm sorry I don't care about the audience during an improv show during a sketch sure I'm like what I care is about funny you. I, I don't, care about you I don't like like I would if I'm in the audience and somebody believes that they're uh, like a gondolier in Venice I am more interested in if there's no dialogue in that in that scene and they're a gondolier and they look down and they pick up something out of the canal and they like put it in there and they're like oh, I'm gonna throw that away when we that says so much about who that person is, and it all comes from just seeing the canal. And I would so much rather see that show than something that was just like the right moments all the time. Um, I have an actor friend who said that one of the best things that Brando had ever done in a scene is he's talking in a, some monologue in The Godfather, and he looks up and he like picks like actual dust out of the air and like wipes it on himself and continues, and it makes the whole scene interesting. And that's to me is that's the what the thing that improv needs is like what's in the space as opposed to like well your game is you know i'm doing i'm a chatty cat and you're a f f scrubby dog and we're no matter what happens i'm chatty cat you're scrubby dog like ugh, i'd rather you know i'd rather one of the dog be like when did i get a collar like, <laughs> like it's interesting to me why am i not free yeah uh all right Anything else? <clears throat> right there. How long did you think till you found your voice in improv? Your own. I don't. I, I still don't think I have a voice. He doesn't. As far as like when <laughs> when I play, because uh, when when I'm performing, I just see myself as as an improviser who should be trained at doing everything that is improv well, right? Uh, I don't see my like I'm not. I don't. I think it was a long time ago, in Mick Napier's class back in Chicago at the Annoyance Theater, he was going around the class saying he was making everyone. The class was sort of choosing, let's have this person do something that they've never done. Let's have this person do something that they've never done. A character they've never played. Something they've never done. To challenge everybody. And he went around the room and he got to me, and no one could come up with anything. No one could come up with anything that the, basically I wouldn't try or that I haven't already tried uh, that would make me uncomfortable. And to me. That's just a good balanced player. That's not a voice. Like I, I'm not the straight guy, but I'm not the character guy, right? Uh, I I don't think I have a. a I, if, to me, that's what a voice means. Like a, your voice is like here's the thing you do, right? 
Uh, I don't think I have now. Well, people would say that Miles and I go dark a lot, um, and I think that's not a voice. I think that's just the sort of things that we would rather... I would rather watch True Detective than uh, Kimmy Schmidt, right? So, like, because of my own personal preference and, like, what I'd rather watch on television, I'd rather also investigate that element of a scene over, like, something peppy and fun. I mean, sometimes it's fun to be peppy and fun, but personally, I'd... You know, I grew up watching The X-Files when I was, like, six. (laughs) 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 So, uh, so, like, I'd, you know, yeah. I think that's, the thing that you might identify as voice is just a natural outcropping of your own personal interests in fiction and... Yeah, if you would, uh, who has a voice in improv? Who who do you think has a a, the, uh, a distinct like this is someone with this is their voice? I think that when I started out doing improv personally, I found that I was trying to mimic moves and do what I saw other people doing on stage until like I started falling into my own okay. the ways I yeah. I don't think I, yeah I think what you're describing as a voice what you really mean is like when did you finally accept that you were enough uh, and to be you. <laughs> I know. I'm just. I'm just. I'm just saying because because what 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 you just described was what you just described was every improviser's process it was like I will watch all the other all the other players doing all these things. I, I learned from that, and eventually I, I realized that hey, my own reactions work if I just you know listen to them and, and basically do things right. So yeah, so I, I found out that I was enough. That that's my voice. I never had that fear. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do you have something right there? Okay, this is a broad question, so you can answer it how you wish. Maybe if you want to allocate it to your experience in LA, but uh, female in comedy and working through that, what's your take on? Um, I don't believe I've ever. You're a woman. Yeah, that, I don't. Uh, I don't uh, write from any perspective. Uh, when people hire me, it's because I have a, uh, a weird or eccentric voice. It's not because I have a female voice. Um, and when I wrote for SNL, that was what, they were like, your packet is f- crazy. Uh, and they wanted me to like sort of like shuttle me into this like Will Forte role in writing of like weird stuff. And it wasn't that I was taking over a female writer slot. It was just weird shit. Um, I don't, I, I know, oh God, I'm going to get in so much trouble. Um, I don't have an agenda I mean, like, I believe in equality of performers and everything, but I think that the, the strength of women in comedy comes from just being comedians. It's not from being women comedians. Like, the strength of men comedians isn't that they're men in comedy. It's that they don't think of themselves as anything but comedians. And so the best way to break down a barrier or to be a writer that's hired beyond gender uh, or beyond race or beyond anything is just like to be a comedian without any fucking thing that you're bringing into the room with you. Like, um, like I wasn't hired for the Eric Andre show for, uh, to be a woman in that room. I was hired because they were like, Hey, you, you, you submitted a thing where you, where Eric is set on fire in front of the audience and you burn him as long as you, as you can before setting him out. And that's not like, <laughs> it's, not, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, it was just the, the thing that I thought was funny. So I think that, I think a lot of people handicap themselves by being 
by being like, and I don't, I know this isn't the politically correct thing to say, like by being the gay writer or the black writer or the female writer or any of those things, just be a writer or just be a comedian, just be an improviser. Like if something's unfair on stage, don't step into it to fix it for like a socially, like a social equality reason, like let it fail. And if, if people learn from that, fine. But you know, I don't. No, I, 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 I understand what you're saying. I mean, because my experiences being a woman in comedy uh, <laughs> are vastly different. Uh, it's difficult. It's difficult being a lady in comedy. No, uh, I understand what you're saying. And actually, the, the, the last thing you were saying is like, it's one of those things that people forget. It's like if something bad is happening on stage, like if you're doing a scene about a racist, right, you got to play a racist, right? So hopefully you, you make fun of the racist, you make the racist look bad, but a lot of players think, I don't want to play a racist, that's wrong. It's like, yeah, but it's happening. And to me, yeah, let the show, if your show winds up saying, you know what, racism is right, I'm pretty sure your show didn't make a convincing argument, <laughs> but, <laughs> but let your fucking show finish what it wanted to say instead of trying to correct it on right. stage. Uh, you explore, you find that. Yeah, I, I, other than that, I can't say anything about being a woman in comedy. Yeah. Um, all right, anything else? Take one more if there is one. All right. Sir? Do you ever take your improv to the street? What I mean by that, take it off the stage, go into 7-Eleven, do improv straight up through there, go in and just <laughs> practice your wares on the street. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs>
we're gonna do today. Well, I was gonna, I'm gonna tell you after the match, but hold on, I'll get her. Stay where you are, man. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
is that thing? It's, it's a pump. What, what do you mean what the fuck is this? What thing? the why is there a pole start on this thing? <laughs> Gas powered? Oh fuck no, I'm not watching this. Some interesting 
emails between she and I <laughs> where I recommended a certain device. <laughs> that isn't technically designed to milk your breasts. Ah, wow, I don't get a lot of visitors out here in Wyoming. But, uh, well, I guess you know most about the farm. We got the largest factory farm in the United States of America. Uh, all of our equipment here is patented. It's only, it's, uh, proprietary, which means you can't get it anywhere else. Thank <laughs> you. 
<laughs> Everyone's coming. Everyone's going to be coming for us. Wait a minute. There's a way out of this room? <laughs> there is for me. <laughs> take me, you have to take me with the orders. Make your shoes. You Why don't you go back to working on that one of those? Now fuck you, I go with it. I'm following you out of the room. But I, I just watch you. I'll watch you with my eyeballs. Go ahead. Go with it. No. Oh, this is great. I just ate lunch. We both just stay here. Great. Oh, you just had lunch? Yes, I just ate lunch. Yeah. I'm fine for a while. <laughs>
do that? Yeah, you gotta put it in. Ding, ding! 
In all my years. In all my years ringside. I, I, I haven't seen this. To recap, ladies and gentlemen. Yago Cunt. Cargo Cunt. Cargo Cunt. The Mysterious Man in Boxing. First, bit off his opponent's arm at the elbow. <laughs> stuck his arm in his mouth up to the elbow and spit it off. And then a little girl got to the ring, squashed his head like a grape, reached down his neck, started pulling out organs and screaming weed. 